Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly bow in your presence, thanking you for this day, thanking you for all the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Dear Lord, we pray you help us to come nearer to you as we approach your throne tonight on multiple times to ask thee for all the blessings that you can bestow upon us, dear Lord. We know that we are weak and sinful creatures, and we know that we struggle at times to do your will. Dear Lord, we pray you help us to always look to you for guidance in our life. Thank you for this opportunity we have to be with those that like precious faith, to hear your word tonight, to sing these songs of praise to you. Dear Lord, we pray you be with those that are sick, those that are recovering from surgeries. We pray if it be your will that you give them the measure of health that they can once again return and be a part of this worship service. Dear Lord, we pray you be with those that lost loved ones. Comfort them as only you can. Dear Lord, we pray your blessings upon this church here at White Oak. Pray your blessings upon the preacher. Pray you help him to always speak your word. Dear Lord, we pray your blessings upon our country. We pray you help us to be mindful of the great privilege we have to be in this country. Pray you help us to be mindful of the men and women that serve in the armed forces who have helped to preserve that right of freedom for us. Help us to be mindful of the mothers today. Help us to be thankful for all the great things they have done for us. They are truly a blessing unto us. Dear Lord, we pray you be with us throughout this service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The invitation song will be hymn number 227. 227. Since we are doing our second Sunday prayer service, we will do a short devotional. And in times, uh, uh, certain times of the last uh, uh, Sundays that we've done this, we've talked about some uh, alleged contradictions of the Bible. And studying those alleged contradictions in the Bible used by many to discredit the Scripture and try to destroy the inspiration of the Bible, we want to ask the question, does God really know everything? Does He really know everything? Turn to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 16. Genesis 18 beginning in verse 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and, and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. There are numerous passages in the Bible 
uh, particularly the Old Testament, that speak of the omniscience of God, the all-knowing of God. The psalmist declared that God knows the secrets of the heart, Psalm 44, 21. That His eyes are in every place, Psalm 15, verse 3. And that His understanding is infinite, Psalm 147, 5. I want us to notice of what David spoke of Jehovah God, Psalm 139, beginning with verse 1. David said, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest, uh, compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. The New Testament also emphasizes the omniscience and all-knowing of God. John wrote in his first epistle, 1 John 3.20, he said, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Not only does he know the past and the present, he's very much aware of the future. Acts 15, verse 18. Now, if God is all-knowing, I think the, it is appropriate to ask the question, why does he ask so many questions regarding the goings-on of his creation? What is the purpose of that? Well, people who try to destroy the Scripture will uh, misuse, they will take these passages out of context, mis misapply them, in an effort to prove that God does not know all things. Therefore, if we can prove God does not know all things, God does not exist at all. Why did God question Cain about the whereabouts of his brother? Genesis 4, 6. Why did the Lord and his two angels ask where Sarah was? Genesis 18, verse 9. If God is omniscient, why did he say, I'll go down to Sodom and I'll find out for myself if these things that I am hearing is true. If they really are as wicked as the cry about them says so. Why did he need to go somewhere to determine if a people were a wicked people? Well, first, critics claim that the question that God presented to Cain and Abraham, or even Satan for that matter, Job 1 verse 7, what have you been doing, where have you been? They claim that those are questions that God is using to try to discover information. He's trying to determine something. Well, I believe common sense will tell us that questions are often used at times for reasons other than trying to find the answer. After all, a parent questioning a son, as if <clears throat> he did not know that he had bent the fender. He wasn't questioning him if he bent the fender, was he? He was questioning him so he could determine if he would be honest in his reply. Did you wreck the car? Did you bend the fender? Oh, I didn't know anything about it. Well, you know, parents, very little gets past them, right? And, and someone had already called, no doubt. This kind of sounds like I'm speaking from experience, doesn't it? and said, your son bent the fender. Well, uh, such 
we do in this life, and so why would it be so far from our understanding that God would do something like that? Likewise, when Jesus questioned the Pharisees' disciples and the Herodians regarding whose inscription was on that coin, as if He didn't know whose inscription was on it, do you think maybe He had seen that coin before? Sure. You know, I can't open my my billfold right now and get out a $100 bill, but I know that uh, Benjamin Franklin is on the $100 bill, right? I know for sure Washington is on the $1 bill. Abraham Lincoln's on a penny. You know, I don't have a penny in my pocket, but I know that. When Jesus asked the throng of people in Luke 8, 45, who touched me, it wasn't to, to try to determine who touched him. It wasn't as if the woman who touched him was hidden from him in some way. But why did he ask that? He knew the woman was made well by touching him. Well, the point wasn't to bring attention to her or to the fact he wasn't trying to gain information. He wanted to bring attention to her great faith and his greater power. He knew who had touched her. He didn't ask the question for purposes of getting information. The questions that God has asked in the past should never lead us to question His divinity. But I do believe, as I study these things, that the hardest one for me to come to understanding of was that statement that the Lord made. I'll go down to Sodom and I'll find out if what I'm hearing is true. How do we answer that? Well, when the Bible uses the phrases, I will know or now I know, in reference to God, it's, it isn't to, uh, uh, for His benefit, it's for the reader's benefit. It's not there to question his ability. Often throughout the Bible we read of human interaction or human characteristics or human traits describing God, right? He learned or he repented or he did this or he did that. Well, it's done so we can understand his infinity a whole lot better than if we simply said God knows all things. I mean, we can't understand that. We academically we say, okay, God knows all things and I'm going to uh, walk by faith and not by sight. But it's hard for us to truly wrap our minds around that because we as people cannot know all things. When God came down to see the city and the tower built at Babel, Genesis 11, it was not to gain knowledge of what was going on in that area. The purpose of His going down there was to demonstrate that He was officially and judicially taking control of the situation and was personally looking at it. He wanted to demonstrate that to us as readers. The people having become so wicked, much like those in the days of Noah, that if he had allowed them to continue, perhaps the the plan of God or God's revelation would have been completely obliterated. He had to do something. And so when God does something, He he does allow us to understand that He is a fair and a just God. The Almighty of Heaven visited Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did He do that? Why did He make that statement? Why not just destroy the people for being wicked? I think as God allowed history to unfold, He went directly to the situation so everyone would know that God is a righteous God and He does not make a quick decision out of anger or anything else. It was demonstrated in him that he went, he saw the situation, because as people, it's hard for us to understand, a spirit being that we cannot see knows all things, and he he doesn't have to, to go and investigate anything, because that's all we know. 
So I think when we do that, that's what we're talking about. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown noted in their commentary on Genesis, they said, these cities were to be made in samples to all future ages of God's severity. And therefore, ample proof given that the judgment was neither rash nor excessive. I think that that's true. Similarly, when God instructs us to pray to Him for things He knows that we already need, who's the benefit for? It's done for our profit so we can speak of Him in accommodative terms, understanding that He is the source of all of our blessings. The whole purpose that God has ever had in communicating and interacting with people is so that we could be saved. When He communicates to us, He does it in a way that we can understand. And so when we read through the Bible, and we read where God says, I'm going to go down and see whether this thing be so or not. Well, that's what we would say as people. We understand when that is said that God is going to make sure that the decision He makes is one that is based on fact and truth. We talked about that this morning. And so it's not that God isn't divine or that He doesn't know all things. It is that He is divine and He does know all things. And of course, within His communication, He always wants us to be aware that we need to be obedient to His gospel. If we've never obeyed the gospel, we do that through faith and repentance, confession, baptism in water for the remission of sins, and faithful living. That's what we do, and He has communicated that to us in a very simple way. If we've done that, yet we've become unfaithful, it is the case that from time to time someone may fall away. They may need to be encouraged to come back to God so that they can enjoy the, the fruits of eternal comfort. By being because they were faithful to Him. If that is the case, and, and you need to repent, do that today. Ask God to forgive you. If you need to do it publicly, do that. If it's of a private sin, take care of that between you and God alone. But if you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.